0: Welcome to Body of Crime, your go-to true crime podcast, where we plunge headfirst into the gripping world of criminal mysteries. Join your hosts, Jose Medina, Crystal Garcia, and Alicia Anaya, as we deliver the full stories immersing you in the heart of each case. With spine-chilling cases, in-depth analysis, captivating interviews, and a comprehensive examination of the evidence, embark on a thrilling journey with us as we explore bone-chilling cases from around the globe. Whether you're a seasoned true crime enthusiast or a fresh face in the genre, we guarantee to keep you on the edge of your seat. So put on your detective hat, grab your notepad, and get ready to dive into the thrilling world of Body of Crime.
1: Many of you may remember, if you're about my age, the sensational news coverage of the Menendez brothers back in 1989. Those of you who were born after 1990 may have heard about it on the news coverage over the years. But for those of you who have never heard about the gruesome and violent Hollywood murders, allow me to enlighten you. On August 20th, 1989, Jose Menendez, a wealthy Hollywood executive, and his stay-at-home wife, Kitty Menendez, were gunned down in their Beverly Hills mansion. Their two sons, Lau Menendez, who was twenty one years old at the time, and Eric Menendez, who was barely eighteen, found their parents murdered in cold blood when they returned home from a movie. Or so the story went. What's the problem? Sounds up. What's the problem? What's the problem? <laughs> I'm Sorry to kill my parents. Pardon me? Sorry, kill my parents. <laughs> What? Who? Are they still there? Yeah. The people. What? No, no, no. Were they shot? Hey, uh, were they shot? Yes. Yeah. They were shot? Yes. I to
0: What happened? I have a hysterical person on. I'm trying to get to
1: It would take months before both children would be arrested for the murder of their parents. At the time, the motive that splashed across newspaper headlines and television screens was greed. The boys had murdered their parents to inherit their millions. 16 million to be more specific. Almost 40 million in today's market. The boys would stand two trials. The first ending in a hung jury. What was discovered during the first trial was an incredible and shocking family secret that impacted the jury, making it impossible to give a guilty verdict. Both boys had been systematically and chronically, emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by their father for years, all the way until the day of the murders. Their mother also contributed to their mental and physical abuse, but had been aware of the sexual abuse, which she never attempted to stop. The same judge would preside over the second trial, but he forbid any of the sexual abuse to be presented, dramatically swaying the proceedings, and both boys were found guilty, both getting life sentences without the possibility of parole. As we prepare for next week's show titled My Brother's Keeper, the unfathomable story of the Menendez brothers' murders, we wanted to provide some insight into both Jose Menendez and Kitty Menendez' lives as we struggle, even 34 years later, to understand what went wrong in this family, and you will be shocked at what we've discovered. Prepare for insight into the Menendez family's dark secrets as we dissect the Menendez family tree from the crooked and broken branches down to the rotted roots. Jose Menendez was born May 6, 1944, in Havana, Cuba. He was the youngest and only son of Jose Francisco Pepin Menendez and Maria Carlota Llano. He grew up in an upper-class family with two older sisters, Teresita, born in 1939, and Marta, born in 1941. His father, a former professional soccer player, started his own accounting firm after retiring from sports, and his mother had won five gold medals as part of the women's national swim team, at the 1935 Central American and Caribbean Olympic Games. She would later be inducted into Cuba's Sports Hall of Fame. The Menendez family was a prominent part of Cuba's high society. But all was not well in the Menendez family. Jose's middle sister, Marta, would recall seeing her brother, Jose, being sexually abused by their mother when he was just a toddler. She would claim the abuse continued through his school years. Jose could be described as a spoiled child. Being the only boy, Jose could do no wrong in the eyes of his family, and he was rarely disciplined for breaking the rules. He was known to be mischievous and outspoken, and his behavior resulted in him being kicked off a swimming team and out of two separate grammar schools. The Menendez family were gifted athletically, and some speculated that Jose was taught that he didn't need to listen to anyone because he was superior. So in 1954, when Jose was just 10 years old, His mother's refusal to discipline him after he set fire at the country club in Havana that the family belonged to during a Christmas party did not surprise anybody. His teenage years saw him become a harsh critic of Fidel Castro, causing concern for his safety as the family's position in Cuba made such criticisms very dangerous. At 16, his mother sent him to the United States with his sister's fiancé, Carlos Baralt, for safety reasons. As he was training to be an Olympic swimmer at the time, he grew to despise Fidel Castro even more. His family stayed behind to try to maintain their property, but eventually they also fled to the United States and settled in Pennsylvania after they were unable to protect the rest of their property that remained in Cuba. They essentially left everything and started over, and this didn't help Jose's already growing distaste for Fidel Castro. Jose attended high school in Pennsylvania and became a member of the swim team. Despite not speaking or understanding English at first, Jose quickly became fluent at both due to his natural intelligence. Although he aspired to attend an Ivy League college, his parents couldn't afford it. And he was awarded an athletic scholarship to attend Southern Illinois University, forcing his attendance if he wanted an education. It would be here that Jose would meet his wife, Mary Kitty Louise Menendez Anderson. So let's talk a little bit about Mr. Jose Menendez and uh, growing up in Cuba. What are your thoughts on on Jose?
0: Well, I think that he came from a home where there was high expectations. And when I say high expectations in his family, what I'm referring to is the fact that when you're in a home where everybody achieves more than the baseline, it creates pressure. Whether somebody is actually creating that pressure for you or not. So I think that in his family, because even his sisters ended up being, they were good swimmers, they were athletic, they were smart. So you're in a family where you being anything less than top tier is probably going to be an issue.
1: So basically he was an apex predator. Yeah. Yeah, he was a shark.
0: I don't know why his mom wouldn't want him disciplined. I don't think that's a smart idea in somebody learning how to control their behavior and their emotions. I think that's part of, of rearing your children. And when they do things and they're not corrected for it, then yeah, they're going to go through life and think whatever they do, they don't need to be corrected for.
1: Yeah, I believe that. But I also think that especially like we're talking about the 19, 1940s, right? So we're talking about the only child, the only son, a mother who was sexually abusing him. And maybe she had a little bit of guilt about that, and maybe that's how she, like, protected him by not punishing him. I don't know. It's it's very strange. It's a very, it was a very strange relationship. I haven't often heard about mothers abusing their sons. Like I haven't heard that a lot in like the news or in different cases that we've covered. So I find it kind of unique. Um, no, it's no, not unique. It's not. Yeah,
0: that's
1: not. That's crazy. Unfortunately. It's not yeah. Unique. In terms of his situation with Fidel Castro, what do you think that was about?
0: With how he was being treated in his family and and how his family was treated within the the community, I think he felt like Fidel Castro was pulling the rug from under him. He took all of their property. He basically said, hey, I want everything you have and came in and took it. So anybody who's in that situation, I'm sure isn't going to like him for that reason. And then he was just very vocal about it. And again, his mom didn't, Chastise him in any way. So, whatever he's saying about him, he's going to feel free to just say whatever he wants because he's used to being able to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about his uh, his his ambitions? It, it seems like from a young age he was ambitious. You know, he got a scholarship, but he didn't get a scholarship to an Ivy League school. He
0: didn't, and he basically blew it off. He ended yeah. up leaving. Yeah. You know that says that he was smart. Yeah. And you know his dad started his own accounting firm one of his sisters later would start an accounting firm and she actually owns a, a real estate business still even still now.
1: Wow. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. So his family, I would say they're pretty smart. So
1: yeah, it sounds like they're uh, overachievers. Uh, the family's all uh, high achievers. I believe that as we learn more about Jose and how he's driven, I'm pretty sure a lot of that came from his, his mother and his father and even the background. Cause a lot of times at that time and age, you typically, the son would typically become what the father was.
0: And that that was a thing for them. So the oldest son, back in the day with kings and queens, that firstborn child was considered the child that was going to take the reins and carry on the family name and whatever the family traditions were and all of that. Right. So.
1: Kitty was born on October 14, 1941, in Oaklawn, Illinois. She was the youngest of four siblings born to Charles Milton Anderson and May Helen Anderson. Her family was middle class and she grew up with two older brothers, Milton and Brian, as well as a sister, Joan. Kitty's father was a U.S. Army veteran who had started his own air conditioning and heating business when he left the service. Her mother worked at an airport. Despite the family's seemingly comfortable lifestyle, Kitty's childhood was marred by abuse and dysfunction. Her father was abusive, and her mother battered and despondent. Her father was known to be abusive towards Kitty and her brothers, and her mother suffered from chronic depression. After Charles left Kitty's mother for a mistress, May, Kitty's mom, turned to alcohol as a form of self-medication. This was an unsettling and traumatic experience for Kitty, and she developed a negative view of divorce and its effect on women and children. Kitty struggled with depression growing up and had few friends in school. It's rumored that she had been sent to a boarding school due to sexual abuse by a relative, although not much information exists to confirm or deny that. Nonetheless, she participated in various school clubs and graduated from Oaklawn High School in 1959. After graduating from high school, Kitty pursued an education major in communications at the Southern Illinois University. During her time there, she participated in the radio broadcasting program and won the Miss Oakland Beauty Contest during her senior year. It was at college here where she met Jose Enrique Menendez, a Cuban immigrant majoring in accounting who worked at the campus television station. They couldn't get enough of each other. The pair was inseparable, although Kitty's parents and friends did not approve of the relationship. Jose was younger than Kitty, and it was his ethnicity they found unacceptable, as he was of Latin descent and an immigrant. Ironically, the Menendez family would also disapprove of their relationship as they found Kitty's social standing to be lower class, as well as the fact that Kitty came from a divorced household and that was against the Menendez family's core values. Despite their families disapproving of their relationship, the couple eloped to New York in 1964, shortly after Kitty's graduation from college. Jose would not complete his college education and squandered his scholarship. In New York, Kitty worked as a teacher in the Bronx, while Jose earned his accounting degree at Queens College. Upon graduation, he started working at Cooper's and Librand, who we know now as the mega powerhouse accounting firm Pricewater Cooper. This allowed the couple to move to a better area of Queens. Their first child, Joseph Lyle Menendez, was born on January 10th, 1968, and Kitty became a full-time housewife and devoted mother. The small family of three moved to New Jersey for a short period of time, where they had their second son, Eric Gallen Menendez, on November 27th, 1970. Jose would spend a few years with Cooper and Libran and followed in his father's footsteps becoming a certified public accountant. While auditing a company in Illinois, Lion Container, the business's leadership was so impressed with Jose that they offered him a job as a comptroller, which he accepted and relocated the family to Hinsdale, Illinois. He would rise through the ranks to president of the quickly growing business before getting into a heated argument with Lion Containers chairman concerning the direction of the company, resulting in Jose's resignation from the company. But Jose was on to bigger and better things, and he was soon offered a position with Hertz Rent-A-Car in Monsey, New York, as the CFO in 1974. By 1979, Jose was the global general manager of Hertz, where he would gain his career reputation as a ruthless and aggressive businessman. After Hertz, Jose went to work for RCA Records. It would be here that his ethics would be questioned when it was discovered that he had sent a large amount of records to stores to make sales appear larger than they actually were. As their children grew older, Jose and Kitty's relationship began to deteriorate, with Jose focusing more on their sons, particularly Lyle. Family members noted that Kitty wasn't very affectionate or nurturing towards her children, often leaving them to fend for themselves. In contrast, Jose was a strict and demanding parent. Jose repeatedly had affairs that upset Kitty. There would be a short separation, but she would return. Although it was Jose who convinced her to return home, it was primarily for the sake of the boys, according to his brother-in-law. Lyle later described his mother as a woman who had suffered emotional and physical abuse at the hands of his father, causing her a great deal of pain. Kitty continued to struggle with depression throughout the marriage and even attempted suicide by overdosing on Xanax. In 1981, Jose later took a job as a CFO with Caracol Pictures, which produced movie classics such as Rambo, Total Recall, and Terminator 2. The new job caused the family to move again, this time to California. Although Kitty was unhappy about the move, their relationship improved slightly. Jose would later become head of International Video Entertainment, which released non-family movies with Family Home Entertainment, operating as a subsidiary of the adult film distributor Caballero Control Corporation. Jose later founded live entertainment in 1988 which became very successful generating 140.1 million in cells but he wouldn't live to see it. The Menendez family would eventually move to Beverly Hills from Calabasas after Lyle and Eric were involved in some local burglaries. The burglary started with the boys and a friend of theirs burglarizing their neighbors. Jose was more upset that they had been caught than the fact that they had been committing crimes in their neighborhood but was unable to get them out of the trouble. This would force him to move to Beverly Hills. They would be introduced to Dr. Oziel, who would serve as a therapist to the boys for the next few years. Dr. Oziel would insist in having Eric charged as a juvenile and the sanitizing of his criminal record. Lyle had been let off completely, with his younger brother taking the charges since he was still a juvenile. In 1989, Jose seemed to have it all. A successful media executive with political aspirations, he lived a lavish lifestyle with his college sweetheart, Kitty, by his side. The elder son was attending Princeton University, while both sons were champion tennis players. Jose was a man who believed in ruthless pursuit of success. He demanded respect and was feared by those who knew him. He basked in the glory of that wealth and status brought him. But behind the facade of his perfect life lay a dark reality that would eventually come to light.
0: I definitely see a correlation in Kitty's life later on compared to what her mom's life was when she was growing up. She basically became her mom.
1: Yeah. In more ways than one, yeah. both parents of Kitty and, and Jose were against their relationship. And you would see that Jose and Kitty would be against the, their kids' relationships as well, regardless of what they were. <laughs> right. you, they were never good enough. It was never, it was never enough. So we talk about the dark, this dark secret, I think it's important to, to add to that. We would later find out Jose Menendez began molesting his children at a very early age.
0: Lyle actually started being physically abused when he was four. And somewhere in between that time, the abuse started with sexual abuse. At the age of six, he would be seen for some unknown like injuries in the hospital And then by eight, this is when he told his cousin he was being molested by his dad. And that's when his cousin talked to the mom who took Lyle into another room. And from what Lyle remembers, she was basically trying to play it down. But he said that it stopped after that. But that same year, so he was eight years old, and that same year, he also, that was the year that he was diagnosed with a speech articulation disorder. He was experiencing headaches um, very early on. You know, their medical records really jived up with their story, and it would be, I know they had a couple years to prepare for their trial in all actuality, but you would have to go through great lengths to try to put together a case of abuse that went on all your life that would line up with your medical records, the way that their stuff lines up in addition, their symptoms that they talk about. And even the things that you hear when you hear teachers talk about them and everything else. Yeah. It it would be difficult for somebody to, to fudge all of that.
1: Yeah. And the fact that they couldn't get the murder, right. (laughs) Tells me the fact that they got caught, right. It tells me that they're, they're not skilled enough to really pull off an entire like sexual assault, especially not just one of them, but both of them, you know? Well,
0: and one of the things that, you know, that you'd learn throughout the trial is that they were not at a maturity level for their ages. And lots of teachers would talk about that.
1: And what you're, what you're really, what you're saying is that they were, their um, mental capacity was diminished. Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a result of the abuse. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Even a 21-year-old and an 18-year-old is already going to be immature at that age anyways, especially for boys. But on top of that, they were way below that.
1: So Jose's abused as as a toddler. Then he grows up and comes into a position of power. Even before he was in a position of power, he was abusing his kids. So what do you think was driving that?
0: I still think that he was in the mindset of that persona of being accomplished and being... He wanted to carry that on for the Menendez family. His father was a professional soccer player. His mom was a gold medal swimmer, and she's inducted to the the Hall of Fame in in Cuba. He doesn't want to be the kid in the family, especially when he's the only son who doesn't have that image. And, you know, he didn't start out with money. When they were in New York, like early on, when they got there, one of his teachers, so at the college before he graduated college, talked about how he would be short paying like three dollars on something and he'll be like i have to wait until next payday to to pay the rest of this right so he went through struggles that everybody goes through to make it to where he was
1: i guess my question is really more about his sexual abuse of of like he did not consider himself to be gay
0: which confused his sons right Specifically, Eric, because he's thinking that what his dad is doing is symbolic of being gay, right? So then he's confused. Sometimes I think that when abuse takes place, even when it's sexual abuse, that it's not always about the sex.
1: For Jose Menendez, what do you think the abuse was about? Was it about control? Was I it think about he power? Was a
0: controlling person, and I think given the opportunity, he was a bully. Yeah if you allowed for him to bully you, he would bully you.
1: Do you think he thought he was showing his kids that he loved them the same way that his mother showed him? I don't think that was a part of it. No,
0: no. And, and I believe this because I, I believe that without listening to them saying anything. So if they were being, you know, dishonest in listening to the, to the teachers and the family, Eric seemed to be a lot like his like his mother and Lyle seemed to be a lot like his father. So when it came to, being super goal oriented to wanting to have a a persona that that you've made it that was Lyle but then Eric was the more reserved kind quieter he was cool with kind of being behind the scenes they were different and so and Jose made it very obvious that he didn't look at Eric the same way that he did Lyle not only was Eric not the or the oldest child who was to carry on the family name but he also saw Eric as being weak and Lyle had made a comment at one point saying for the longest time, it was almost like his brother didn't exist. And he said his brother would try to be a part of things and his dad would tell him you shut up or you get away or why can't you just go away? Like he was an annoyance to his dad. I don't think that his dad saw value in what he thought his child brought to the table. Right. But with Lyle, he felt like Lyle had the possibility or the potential of being like, just like him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like he was grooming his protégé. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about um, the relationship between Jose and his kids in terms of how he mentally abused them in terms of like separating them from friends and focusing them on 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 goals and, and the the whole tennis and swimming rituals that he would put them through? I know you you know a lot about that as well.
0: So a lot of kids start sports young. And for a lot of people who are really, really good at sports, they do start sports at like three or four years old. He started sports. He got into sports for the first time at four years old and his dad was very hard on him. And some of the things that he would do, for instance, with tennis, when he was six, his dad didn't want him to use a junior racket, which would have been the size for him to be able to hold and hold with one hand, which is something that you do when you're playing tennis. Instead, his dad wanted him to hold the adult racket. So what he did was he wrapped the racket close to like basically like the head of the racket for him to be able to hold it. But he still couldn't hold it with one hand. He had to hold it with two. When you think of something that small. You're not thinking like abuse. But when you look at all the other things. So like when the coaches would see things like. He's there to to train with the rest of the kids. And his dad's got him off on the side. Doing their own thing. Like why are you even there? He didn't want him to have friends on the team. He told him that friends were competition. And there was a book that he would have him. Breed and memorize passages from that talked about basically like that, that's your enemy to kind of see people as your enemy. And that if you're basically, if you're trying to be that superior individual, then you don't make the mistake of getting close to somebody or allowing for yourself to be derailed from,
1: from your path. Yeah. Do you think that might have contributed to Lyle finally deciding to stand up against his dad at some point?
0: I do. And I think that Lyle had just started Lyle. Eric didn't get an experience being out of the home. And he that was actually something he was really looking forward to was Eric was looking forward to going off to college and being away and not being at home. But then his dad had told him that he wanted him to be home a few days a week, which he wasn't happy about. But Lyle got to experience being outside of the home where he had other people to influence him. I think that started to open his mind up to how things really were and not how his family had been kind of leading him to believe things were.
1: What do you think having Eric home a couple of days during the week? What what was that really about?
0: I think that was about control and I think it was about abuse, even if it wasn't even about sex. I think it was about control.
1: Yeah. I don't think he intended to stop abusing his son, even after he turned 18.
0: I don't think he did either. I think as long as he was able to, he would, he would have continued to. Yeah.
1: I know we kind of brushed really quickly over, over some of the um, experience of a Jose Menendez and we're really focused on Jose Menendez because really Kitty was more of a tag along. She really didn't have a, her own story. She was kind of like a a tag along to Jose and she kind of kind of wrote his coattails in terms of his success and what he was doing. And obviously she kept the home and stuff like that, but she really didn't have her own story. She wasn't really doing her own thing. What she was most guilty about was being complicit and being quiet and not standing up for her sons. So so that's why I'm kind of most fully focusing on Jose.
0: But she she did aid in a lot of the abuse to include putting Lyle in the closet and locking him in the closet.
1: Yeah, you know, to do his homework. Right.
0: Yeah. But if your child can't even come out and go to the bathroom and you're giving them a bucket to go to the bathroom in, that's abusive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If if you've got to give your kid a bucket to go to the bathroom, then that's abusive.
0: And, you know, sometimes people like like to invent this scale that doesn't exist of which abuse is worse. He's sexually abusing, so she's not really abusing. But psychological abuse can be some of the worst abuse. And she was just as bad with the psychological abuse yeah. as Jose was.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I guess I don't want to take away from, from Kitty's contribution to the abuse. I don't really feel like like the story is, is really about Kitty. I feel like she was more of a kind of a sidekick in the story of the Menendez, the Menendez brothers and, and what ended up happening. Uh, even her getting killed was more of a, like, ah, oh, let's just put it out of her misery type of deal, like as opposed to, like, I want to go in, I want to kill mom.
0: I think they had a little bit of reservations because they had just found out that she really had known and had been really had been a part of things. Yeah. I think that was new for them and a little bit hard for them to believe at the time.
1: Actually, I heard Lyle make a statement saying that he was it was devastating to him to find out because he had been keeping everything from his mom for so long.
0: Thinking he was protecting her.
1: Yeah, thinking he was protecting her.
0: And so they were, and Eric, Eric would talk about, to me, Eric was a sweet kid because Eric would talk about how he would do things for his mom and that it would make her happy. And he liked making her smile because his mom was always depressed, just like her mom was. Right. And experiencing the same things. So Eric would do things for her because he loved seeing her smile and he wanted to make her happy keep in mind that his dad's treating him one way and his mom also is very verbally abusive with him as well, but he still felt like his mom was the weaker person in the relationship. Right. So he felt like she was a wounded bird, you know, like he he needed to, yeah, he needed to take care of her. He needed to protect her and they both felt that way. Yeah. So to later, years later, find out that that wasn't who she was. That can be pretty pretty traumatizing. That
1: that, that definitely could be, Devastating, devastating. I just said that to say that because I'm I'm really focusing the conversation more on Jose Menendez. But Jose Menendez, his career. So he started off as working as an accountant, and uh, and then he did something unethical, right? Which we, we in the business world you would consider to be unethical, which is he he ran off with a customer and became their employee. In terms of Jose Menendez's character, it was always what was best for him. His decisions were always based on what was the best outcome for him personally.
0: It's definitely very evident. Yes, he would, you know, a a couple people at the last place that he was at, granted they hadn't worked with him very long, but they would talk about how he was a good mentor. They really liked working with him. Anybody who was ever underneath him didn't didn't like him ever at any location. But he definitely was somebody who would do whatever it took to achieve a goal. And a lot of businesses appreciate that. So he would go in and fire a hundred and something people just like Elon Musk did when he took over Twitter. And those are characteristics of some of your top business people. So can we say he wasn't a good businessman? Probably not. Obviously evident in the trajectory of his career. right? But was he ethical? Questionable. Questionable.
1: I would say no based on my own experience. What I know about business and and ethics, I would say that his ethics were flawed. And obviously, now that I know what I know about him, I know his ethics are flawed, right? But yeah, I can see that. What was his accomplishments at Hertz?
0: He actually had had moved through quite a few different positions at Hertz. And eventually, he moved up to being the general manager. The global? Yeah, the global general manager. And somebody that was there at Hertz with him said if he would have stayed at Hertz, he would have been the top person at hurts. Yeah. And, um, and I believe that when you see how aggressive he was and he wasn't going to waste time thinking about things and over things before he took action, he was going to take action and he didn't care if, if it pulled the rug from under somebody or any of that, you know, you'll have people say different things. Some people will say that that's how business works and that your emotions shouldn't be at work. And then you'll have people that will say, that's not cool. Yeah. You know?
1: Um, I know while he was at Hertz that, did he meet OJ?
0: Oh, that's right, he did.
1: <laughs> yeah, he met OJ, and
0: then his sons ended up being in jail with him.
1: Are you serious? Yeah. So his kids ended up being in jail with OJ. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. But that's really OJ crazy. got away.
0: Yeah. Too bad.
1: And when he went to go work for RCA, he didn't know anything about the business.
0: And think about that because it's funny to me and, and anybody on the on the outside looking in who doesn't have a pretty good awareness of how businesses operate at the top level, you may not understand that you would be thinking, what is he doing at a record label? If he's never worked at a record label, what, what value is he going to add? Well, he was a genius with numbers and he was a genius with pulling businesses out of whatever trench they were in at the time. So he wasn't pulled over there for his expertise in yeah. records, you know?
1: With my experience in business, I know that you don't necessarily need to know the business to run the business. He was more of a numbers guy and the numbers are pretty much the same across the, you know, across businesses. Typically the numbers all speak the same language. Um, so if you know the numbers, you can you can work in any business. What was the deal with RCA?
0: RCA went through a couple changes. I want to say that General Electric was the last ones that bought them out. And it was that, it was when that occurred, which was somewhere mid to late 80s when that occurred, the person who was brought in to be the main person making the decisions, he didn't agree with how Jose operated. Right. He was not a fan. Jose wasn't going to stop being himself. Yeah. To stay at the company and in fact the guy told him well you can stay in a different position and he's like absolutely not so he was w- willing to be unemployed which he did for a while Yeah. instead of staying there and working a lower position yeah. which that's not a smart decision as a business person but I can see where somebody who's controlling and who's very prideful which he yeah. definitely was because there was things that happened with the kids where he would lie because he didn't like the way it looked Right. So.
1: The appearance mattered. Yeah.
0: The appearance mattered to him. He wanted to rub elbows with people and he wanted to be that person that just everybody thought was amazing at everything that they did.
1: Yeah. And I know why he was at RCA, one of the groups that he signed was Menudo. It was. Yeah. That was a big deal for RCA um, because it opened up the, the Latin market for music. And I know he was big on the Latin market, bringing in music and artists from South America and stuff like that. And from Puerto Rico and the Caribbean. And what can you share about that?
0: Well, that's actually one of the areas where when, when people from RCA actually talked about Jose's time there in any positive manner, that was one of the areas where they said he really contributed to RCA records was in the endeavors that he did. He actually put an office in Miami and um, that was kind of like the the main hub where they were, bringing in these, you know, these Latin groups and stuff. So he was a a key person in that. And so he was going to Menudo concerts. They would come at one point, at least a couple of them came to his home, which is kind of strange to me. (laughs) Again, we can see that we, we know that he wasn't an ethical person, but bringing work into your house, like bringing it, it just kind of, in your home, like, I understand, like, having an event and being out at an event and having your family there and your family mingling. I get that. But bringing people to your home just seems a little a little off to me.
1: Yeah. During that time, we now know that Roy Russello, which is one of the members of Menudo's during the 1980s, was at Jose Menendez's house, met his kids there at a time when they were being abused. And he states that he was drugged and raped by Jose Menendez as well. Roy was sexually abused by the CEO of the Menudo Group, the guy who who founded the group and who was leading the group. And he systematically and, and, and chronically sexually abused him the whole time that he was in the Menudos and pimped him out to Jose Menendez. What you're talking about now it's not just from the rape of Jose Menendez, right. but it was the systemic abuse that he was getting from Eduardo Diaz.
0: He he was running some kind of strange thing because he was keeping the Menudo guys um within a certain age range, and he had a lot of kids in his house. And yeah, there there's some strange stuff. But in in that, I encourage. It's actually a really good documentary to watch. But the the thing that I really want to point out is the fact that the impact can can carry over into your adulthood and it can be super impactful you know in the documentary he talks about the fact that he had attempted suicide four separate times and it's so sad because something happened to him that he thought he needed to keep in and then he thought he should be ashamed about especially during a time where people would look at you as well you're a boy or you're a man how could you How could you allow that to happen? Or, you know, well, then you must be weak or, well, then you must be gay. So all those different things also played into it. But at the time that he was in Benuto, and I know that we're not talking about him, but I kind of feel like these cases are similar in the regards that when we do talk about Eric and Lyle and their age and how they were impacted at a later age, it's important to note that they are not the only ones that we see who are impacted later in life by things that have occurred throughout their lives. Roy's mom, one of the things that I thought was, was very sad in the documentary was that Roy's mom didn't know. And when she found out, she just was so hurt. But one of the reasons that he stayed and that he didn't want to say anything is because it put his family in a better financial position
1: Yeah, he was sacrificing so that he can feed his family and move his family into a better place.
0: People will say, I never expected that. This is this person who's on top of the world and has everything. And why would they do something like that? Guys, it happens all the time in all occupations, at all age levels. And so to even say that is almost like a smart comment to make.
1: Really, in all actuality, it's very hard to imagine real evil. It's hard to imagine it. Without you being evil, it's hard to imagine someone that you know or, or that you interact with as being that evil. So it's, it's really hard to, it's really hard to and, picture that.
0: And think about the fact, because Roy has talked about the fact that there was other people in Menudo that were abused. Right. During that time frame, at some point, some of the guys were going to come forward and they were scared. So they ended up backing out and pulling away. And the guy who was helping them come forward fell on a sword lost a lot of money and definitely lost a lot of respect in his field. But Roy in coming forward, I'm sure he's not going to be the only person that comes forward. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's others that were also assaulted by Jose as well.
1: Right. And I was thinking the same thing and it's kind of why I brought it up is because one of the things that I remember about Jose Menendez's time at RCA was the fact that he made multiple trips down to Miami, down to Puerto Rico, um, was constantly at concerts for, for the Menudos. And if it was being ran by a pedophile who was pimping out his stars to powerful people, the president of RCA, that's crazy.
0: And you know what I compare that to? I compare that to Epstein. He was a very wealthy person in our day now. And also unethical. Yes, that people are like, I can't believe all these people that were hanging around him and what he was doing and that he was, he was doing this to all these people. Yeah they would have said the same thing back then about why would a music executive do that? They could be with anybody they want. They have money. Why would they do something like that? Yeah. So never underestimate somebody's ability to be evil.
1: Yeah. Um, And and before we go, and I know we had, this is some really good conversation on, on Jose and Kitty. And I, I think it's important for our listeners to hear this aspect of it, of who they are, because I don't feel like we really get into it. Yeah. actually, during the real podcast and that's going to be released next week. It's uh, My Brother's Keeper. And I want to say that I feel like understanding the true nature of Jose Menendez really gives you insight into why the brothers did what they did. Right. It gives you a, a better understanding. And I think that it's an understanding that was left out of their second trial that caused them to be convicted for first-degree murder. I feel like that's the gap in that trial. And I, I believe, like you believe, I think that there's going to be a lot more people coming forward now that Roy came forward about his abuse at the hands of Jose Menendez that is going to cause other people to want to come forward and speak on that. And, and there's no way with the, with the amount of abuse that he did to his own kids and to Roy that there are not other victims out there that he left in his wake. His wake. His Wake. that's a wrap on today's investigation fellow detectives if you found this episode both enlightening and captivating then please subscribe to our podcast show and our patreon leave a review and hit that like button share our podcast with others and engage with us on our website and social media platforms you can find us on all major podcast platforms as well as our website at www.bodyofcrimepodcast.com where you can access all of our episodes and bonus content including valuable resources by expanding our community, we believe we can make a greater impact in our pursuit of truth and in shedding light on crucial cases. If there's a case that you'd like for us to cover or a personal story you'd like to share, please don't hesitate and contact us through our website. We always welcome your feedback and suggestions. Until next time, stay sharp and thank you for tuning in to the Body of Crime podcast. Bye-bye. Podcast. Podcast.